so good to be in the house of God today. And to all those, welcome to Midweek. Everybody online, on YouTube, Facebook, wherever you're watching. If you're at home, if you're at work, if you're in your car, um, maybe in your closet and just soaking in the worship. Um, we're so glad you joined us. And uh, we want to just let, let you know that we're so grateful for you and your unanswered prayer that you joined us tonight. Uh, if you could do us a quick favor and just like and share the video with your friends and your family uh, so they can, uh, you know, get part of this experience tonight. Uh, man, we're starting a new, new series, um, and it's one that we've never really done before. It's a little, it's a little crazy, and um, I, I, I had a good time um, writing my part, and um, it's something I've never really thought about, really, and... Um, but this new series that we're starting uh, today for the month of September, and it's probably going to go until the month of October, but this is going to be a good one. And uh, this, this, this uh, midweek sermon series is going to be called The Culture Of. And um, man, there's a lot of cultures that are going on in the world right now. There's, and we, you know, as a church, Remnant Whittier, when we started this church almost a year ago, in just a couple weeks, the first thing we said is we need to do a culture change. We need to start a new culture, a Jesus culture, a godly culture. And that's exactly what we've been doing up until now. And we're not going to stop. We're going to continue to push that we have a Jesus and godly culture uh, in our fellowship of churches, in our community. And so uh, today I have the, uh, man, the 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 privilege to, and man, the honor, and it's, it's, it's so awesome to be able to open up a series, and um, my first time ever doing this, and uh, I'm excited, um, but real quickly, if you guys can turn your Bibles over to Romans chapter 10, verse 10 through 15, we're going to read this, and I hope you have your Bibles, uh, I hope you have your Bibles, I brought mine today, and I unfortunately left it in the trunk, and now it's all bent out of shape. But it's good. It's got some experience now. <laughs> uh, but, man, yeah, if you can turn over to Romans 10, uh, chapter 10. I'm sorry, chapter 10, verse 10 through 15. And I'm going to be reading out of the NIV version. Uh, it's a good passage of Scripture. And uh, if you're ready, you can read along with me. Uh, I'm reading out of the NIV version. But it just says, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Also, and how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written... How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So why don't we uh, just bow your heads wherever you're at right now. Close your eyes. We're going to pray over tonight's message. Father God, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for the opportunity to just 
gather online as a community of people, fellow believers, Father God. And Father God, right now, I pray, man, that you would just use me, Father God, Lord Jesus, that you would take control, Father God, Lord Jesus, that these words I speak are your words, not my own, Father God, but that it's your word, Lord Jesus. And I pray right now that you would just give me a spirit of strength, Father God, of peace and joy, Father God, Lord Jesus. I pray that I would, man, decrease as you increase tonight, Father God. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Father God, and we pray for this new series, The Culture of Lord Jesus, that you would use it in the next few weeks, Father God, to speak to your people, Father God, to change their lives, Father God, to change their hearts, their minds, the way that they think, Father God. And right now, Father God, I pray for all those that are coming after me to continue this series, Father God, that you would use them, bless their mouths, Lord Jesus, as they speak this awesome series, Lord Jesus. And we pray right now, Lord Jesus, for understanding, Father God. And I pray right now that everybody would have an open ear, Father God, that their hearts would be open to receive your word tonight, Father God. Once again, not mine, but yours, Jesus. Father God, we thank you so much for your healing, your miraculous power that you have blessed us with, Father God. And we thank you so much for your spirit. In Jesus' name, we all said as a church, amen. All right, amen. So today I'm opening up uh, the culture of shame and and I do have I do have a title and I totally forgot what it was there we go shame no ignore the accusers how many have a lot of accusers in our lives and you may be serving God and you may be man on the right path you're you're trying to live a righteous life and maybe you're, you know, you're doing good, but there's always somebody out there that's just accusing you of something or speaking down to you or telling you something that's not good. And I want to really quickly just let you know what shame could be. And it's one of the greatest problems in the world of all time. And it's also one of the most invisible. And you're probably wondering, how is shame invisible? Well, it is to a lot of people. There's people get shamed every single minute of the day, every single second of the day, whether it's uh, right face to face. There's also a lot of online shaming, um, which has become very, very, man, tough these last few years that social media just blew up. Um, but because it's by its nature, it asks to be hidden. Shame asks to be hidden. And it's something that we don't even realize, but it actually, it, <laughs> it saps our ability to spot its symptoms, okay? But to generalize it, there's few things that undermine human well-being, okay? And it's the sickness of shame. Shame is a sickness that if we let, man, just, if we let it get buried inside of us, man, there's, there's always going to be this, this culture in your life of what is, what is that person going to say of, about me or what is this person going to do or are they going to comment on my post and say that I look ugly or, uh, you know, you should be ashamed of posting that or posting this, right? And real quick, I want to talk about guilty versus shame, okay, because there's a big difference. A lot of people will put these two together. The guilty feel bad for something specific that they have done. How many of us have done something that we feel guilty about, right? Maybe, yeah, maybe I did say something about someone or maybe I did steal that candy bar when I was eight, 
you know, or maybe, yeah, maybe you were talking about somebody. Maybe you're gossiping, right? The shamed feel wretched simply for just being, being a human being. And, and sometimes we don't realize that, that we're just shame, a shameful people or we're just ashamed of what, who we are. But the affliction, it lacks borders. As, as ashamed people, uh, we don't connect ways in which our behavior and feelings are driven, okay? We base our, our convictions on most of the time shame, you know? Um, I was ashamed for a long time to be a pastor's kid because I was like, man, if you didn't know, my dad was a pastor for six years. And sometimes I did feel ashamed, like the other kid's going to pick on me, you know, or shame me for being a pastor's kid. Like, oh, you're goody two-shoes, right? Or you get special treatment, you know, and that's so far from the truth. For me anyways, everybody has a different story. But for me growing up as a pastor's kid, we, we lived in the desert. <laughs> and I only had like two friends at one point at a time. And so they loved me and thank God for those friends. And, um, but sometimes we lack the capacity to imagine that our shame may have a history. Um, perhaps even a future that could be uh, curtailed or reduced in extent. Because shame could really affect our future. As kids, we grow up, you know, and sometimes our own parents, our grandparents, our aunts and uncles sometimes shame us without realizing it. And I'm going to get back to that in a minute. But going back to Romans, it says that it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Anyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. God has called us to preach the good news. Amen? Do you guys agree with that? He's, when we have been saved, when we have accepted Christ, when we proclaim that his faith is awesome, that his faith is true and righteous, we are called to preach the good news to show, just like Christ has done for us, grace just as he's given us. But before we can do that, we're going to get into a little bit of a, a teaching moment here. Before we can do that, we first need to check ourselves. And this is part of growing up. This is when you, get, when you become saved, when you accept Jesus into your life, there's things you need to start doing. And, and it's not just, okay, get saved and go start preaching the gospel to anybody that can hear you. Yes, you can do that. And you can give them, you know, the core scriptures, the gospel of Jesus, Right. But there's also some things that we need to check for ourselves. So the first step in untangling our lives, untangling ourselves and finding these, these, these things that could be buried deep inside of us that are shameful or that we're ashamed of is to get enough distance to spot and name those problems. So uh, we're going to use a little questionnaire and you guys can write these down. Uh, we have one, two, three, four, five, six different statements that I'm going to quote right now. And maybe you can write in your notes. From one to 10, rate yourself on how true these statements 
are to you, okay? So between one and 10. And dig deep, and you don't have to tell your neighbor what they are, you know. Um, you don't have to say it out loud or anything. Um, but so between one and 10, this statement, is it true to you? I don't deserve to exist. I am defective. I am unworthy of being known and loved. I am a mistake. I deserve to be abandoned. And the last one, I should not be. Once again, I don't deserve to exist. I am, de I am defective. I am unworthy of being known and loved. I am a mistake. I deserve to be abandoned or I should not be. These are questions you need to ask yourself real quick, okay? And I know they sound dark, they sound depressing, but sometimes this is bottled up in us and we don't even realize it. Like I was saying earlier, you could have all these things you're ashamed of, you know, whatever you've done in your past or whatever that is, uh, but it's good to check yourself. So I would say that anything over an eight, so if you rate yourself between one to 10 on those six statements, if they're true to you, if there's anything over an eight, that indicates a, your problems, okay? If there were an option, most of us in the shamed camp, we'll call it the shamed camp, okay? Would want to award ourselves of 100 or more. If we like to be ashamed of ourselves or, you know, if there was this thing, this so-called place called a shame camp, and a lot of these statements, maybe you said them to yourself or maybe somebody said them to you are true. But where many of us, where many of us have been living often without mental well-being to know this is where we have been regulated, okay? And sometimes we can regulate ourselves and we keep, you know, we keep this regulation of all this shame, all this hurt, all this stuff inside you that's down here, right? And it's just, it's just simmering in your life, right? Sometimes all these different things just simmer at the bottom of your well, okay? And it's something that we have to, to, to boil out of us and get it out of us. And so, one thing, and I want you to write this down and remember this, that we were not born ashamed, right? We were not born ashamed. What we need to do is summon up the voices that gave us our legacy, okay? Which we have then eternalized and blended it with our own. Sometimes these voices, you can look at it two different ways. Sometimes I think of legacy, and, um, and I think Pastor Clem kind of spoke on this and re reconciliation and, and all this stuff. And I think of our legacy, what has my parents instilled in me as a child, what have they taught me to grow up with, you know? They taught me to be a man of God. They taught me to be honest. They taught me to be truthful with people. They taught me to be a good guy, you know, um, not mean, you know, even though we are, um, but there, there may have been a few things you heard growing up, you know, and, or that you're still hearing now. It could be stuff that you're hearing now at work. It could be stuff that you're hearing at school, at church. It could happen at church because 
man, no house of God is perfect. Amen? So maybe you're hearing stuff like, one, you'll never amount to anything. Have we heard that one before, maybe? You'll never amount to anything. Or sad to say, and I know there are some, but maybe you're the family idiot. Right? I think we've, some people heard that, or maybe you've told that to your family. There's somebody in your family that just, man, they just get on your nerves. And I know I have a few. <laughs> or there's some that have even told you that you disgust me. Right? And darn, doesn't that hurt? That like digs in you, right? Man, that if somebody told me, Pastor Danny, if I told you, man, you disgust me. Oh, how dare you? Get off the stage right now, right? <laughs> but there is a love that has no fear. All right, 1 John 4, 18. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced God's perfect love. So I ask you today, have you experienced his perfect love? Have you really spoke to Christ? Has, have you really let him in and kind of just turned all that turmoil, all that shame, all that, that nastiness, all these sayings, all these true statements, these so-called true statements, right? Have you really let him in experience his true love? Have you been on your knees and just let him floor to you? You know what I mean? During worship, have you just screamed at the top of your lungs saying, Jesus, Jesus, thank you. Jesus, I worship you, right? And have you experienced that moment in your life where you're just at peace? And maybe you have and you don't really, and you don't, maybe you don't know that, you know? There's times in my life where, man, I just feel like I'm just walking on clouds, you know? Or I'm laying on clouds like a big pillow because I know God's just right there walking with me and, and confirming with me that I shouldn't be fearful, that I shouldn't be ashamed of my past or my history or what somebody said about me. When you understand that God loves you no matter what, you no longer need to be afraid of your failings, okay? If you could only truly know the depth of God's love, then you have nothing to fear. So I encourage you to start asking God, man, what deeper things that you have for me? You know, what's this deeper love that I could know of you? Because there's so much different types of love that he has for you. There's so many different types of miracles and, and, and future comings that he has for you. And remember that God already knows, okay? God already has placed that, that path for you about the wrong things that you've done as well as the many good things that you will do, okay? Remember that out of everything we've done, out of all the sin that we may have done or caused or hurt or whatever that may be, he still chose to love you. He still chose to care for you and take care of you because you know what you are? You are his child. You are his child of God. And man, he still continues to take care of you. And we've seen a miracle happen this week, this past week. And I know it only happened because now this man of God is gonna come up here this Sunday 
and preach for what God has done in his life. Pastor Danny, we know he went through COVID and it hit him hard. He was in the hospital, like he'd said earlier. He was in there for days, you know, and it was to a point where we didn't know what was going to happen. We're like, holy moly, it's happening to our pastor, you know. But man, we thought it was getting out yesterday. He got out of the day early because God is doing an, a miraculous thing in his life. And we have to give God praise for that because no matter what, he is there for him. He was there for Pastor Danny. Yes, we were all praying for him, but it was only God that could do that. And so remember that he knows your plans. He already set them in stone for you. He placed brick by brick just so that you can walk on a nice smooth path to get to those plans, that future that he has for you. So if we can quickly turn over to the book of John, the gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. And this is an amazing, amazing story of Jesus and a woman that was being shamed, okay? And... It's an amazing passage, so bear with me. It's a little long, but we're going to read it, okay? But before we do that, from your earliest childhood, like I was talking about earlier, you may have heard statements like, yeah, you should be ashamed of yourself. Shame on you for doing this. Shame on you for doing that. And this message is about Jesus bearing our shame, okay? You're going to find out today through this passage that you can be free from shame, okay? Um, and so this is just a quick story, uh, starting in John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. It says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was called caught in, adult, in an act of adultery. In the law of Moses, he commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger, okay? When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin, be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to walk away, one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one come to condemn you? She said, no one, sir. Then neither do I come to condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. How amazing is our Christ to be able to do that. To say, no, after all this, you know what? I forgive you. And that's exactly what Christ does for us. He forgives us of all that sin. So let's paint this picture real quick, okay? The scribes and the Pharisees brought this woman to Jesus at the temple, right? 
the church house, okay? It was the church house. That was the temple back then, was their church house. And they accused her there. So picture this. It was early morning, right? The dawning of a brand new day. Maybe it was coffee time, breakfast time for them, right? Just can imagine Jesus sipping some coffee, maybe tea, eating a bagel. And Jesus had been to the Mountain of Olives already, the Mountain of Olives, no doubt praying, and he was in the temple teaching, right? And I love that because before he went to the temple, he went to the Mount of Olives, and he prayed. He got a hold of God first, and to find out, what am I teaching on today, right? I can imagine that. That's just awesome, right? The scribes who are the writers of the law, if you didn't know that, and the Pharisees, they are the enforcers of the law, okay? So these two group of men had taken Okay, they took a woman caught in adultery, and they were attempting to do what? Shame her, okay, by putting her public, by putting her on a public display, okay? They were coming down so they could say, look at this woman, look what she did, look at how ugly and nasty she is, you know, for committing adultery, right? They attempted to prosecute the woman, but at the same time, like the verse says, it, it, they try to entrap Jesus. Now, how messed up is that? They were trying to trap Jesus, trying to get him to say something that they weren't going to agree with, you know what I mean? To hope to say that, no, she needs to be punished, right? They were trying to see how good of a, of, of a man this guy was, right? They're testing him, right? So they, they attempted to entrap her. Jesus didn't speak. But like it says, he wrote on the ground, and they looked at him like, what the heck? And they continue to ask him, you know. But Satan always tries to create chaos, okay. Satan always tries to create chaos. And that's exactly what these Pharisees and these scribes were doing. They were trying to mix up and try to make Jesus look like a bad guy, okay. But Jesus writes again, and what happens is they get convicted, Right? And they were probably just like, oh, my God, I can't believe Jesus is that good. And he just did that, right? Because Jesus is awesome. He's like a superhero at that time. So Jesus spoke to the accused, and he set her free, right? Because you know why? These men, these Pharisees, these scribes in that time, we can look at them as politicians or government or city officials or, you know, anybody that's just trying to rule over you. But one thing we need to remember is God is the ultimate legislator. There was no one above him. There was no one under him. He answers to no one but him, and we answer to him. So let's focus on John 8, 6 through 8 real quick. And Andrea, can you put that back up? 6 through 8 real quick. In verse 6, it says, they said to him, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he he heard them not. So when they continued to ask him, he lifted himself up, said unto them that uh, he that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground again. And Jesus only had to respond with one statement. By simply writing on the ground. And what I love about that 
and this is my number one point here, is that that is the finger of God. Okay? That is the finger of God. The finger means a lot of things. You're a pointing finger. You can do a lot of things with it. You can command. You can say go. Say get away from me. You can use this finger to explain something. You can use it to do this and keep going. In worship, we use the finger all the time. Keep going. Come on. Let's go to the next part. You could tell a dog to stop with this finger, back up, whatever it is, right? The finger of God, signifying that God is our ultimate legislator. He's the only one that can write our book for us. With the finger of God, the Mosaic law uh, was written on tables, tablets of stone way back in Exodus, in the beginning of time when he wrote the amazing commandments that we live by today. But Jesus was conveying to them that their very law they were inscribing and forcing was introduced by Jehovah, his father, right? But maybe the finger of God was this time about what did Jesus come for? Grace, to bring grace. Okay, so now this new finger of God, this, the, them seeing Jesus on the floor, right, writing this new law. He didn't need a tablet, you know, but you know what he was doing? That was the time that grace was to be established here on earth. That was that moment that Jesus said that I'm grace. And you look to me as the legislator, as the legislator now. In 2 Corinthians 3, 3, it says, for as much, and I'm reading the, the King James Version here. 2 Corinthians 3, 3, it says, for as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. Okay, so by Jesus writing these, this new law, right, this law into the ground, into the dirt. It wasn't just, because obviously the dirt's going to get blown away. You know, somebody's going to step over it, and his writing is going to be gone. Imagine if it stood there, and all these years we can walk up to it and see God's fingerprint, you know, Jesus' fingerprint in the dirt. How amazing would that be, right? But we have to look at it in this way, that he wrote it into the fleshly tablets of our heart. Okay, so look at your heart as a tablet. God writes his promises, his yes and amens into your heart. Ephesians 2, 11 through 17. If you guys can uh, all turn there real quick. Ephesians 2, 11 through 17. We're going to read this, and this is a good one. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 17. It says, therefore, remember that formerly... You are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised. By those who call them uncircumcised, the uh, quote-unquote circumcision, uh, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners by the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, have been brought near the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made 
the two groups won and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law, which it commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making the best thing in the world, peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to their death hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were away, far away, and peace to those who were near. And we think about that, right? Jesus was communicating, okay? He's the best communicator ever, okay? Jesus was also communicating through silence. And you're like, how was he silent? It's the silent conversation, okay, that Jesus had with those present was more powerful than any words that he can speak. And so what that means is that his spirit, Jesus' spirit, if you were just standing next to him, there was a silent conversation going on. And that can still happen today when we are just so in love with Christ. We can just say, Jesus, speak to me. And you speak back. He speaks back to you. It's a silent conversation. And sometimes there's not even words from him. There's not even words that need to come out of your mouth. But you know what's happening is that that peace, the understanding, his words, his laws, his grace, it's just getting flooded into your brain, flooded into your lives. The only words that Jesus spoke to the scribes and Pharisees was, he that is without sin among you, let him pass, first cast a stone at her. And he communicated that. He was not interested in accusations. He didn't care. Gossip, controversy, he didn't care about that. He communicated that he was not interested in arguing or debating, right? And he taught us something that day. I know for me, I hate arguing. I hate debating, right? It's because you get to a place sometimes where you may, you, you may not say the right thing. You get heated with your friend, with your, fel- you know, your fellow follower of Christ, you know, and I know it could happen. And sometimes it's fine. But, man, there's times when, and, and there's a point in time when that's starting to happen. And you know what could happen? The enemy spirit, Satan, tries to come in there and he just makes it worse. He tries to twist stuff around, right? And next thing you know it, you're having this debate. You're having this, this time where you're just going back and forth. And... Only if you're in the right state of mind, if you have God in your heart and God in your life and his scriptures that live in you, they could sometimes successfully work and have a good debate. You know, I know in universities and college, they they do debating and all that. And um, that's what they're going to school for. They're learning how to debate with one another, right? Learning how to maybe become a legislator or a politician or a lawyer or all these things. And... Sometimes it's just best to ignore them. And sometimes it's background noise, right, behind you. 
because one thing we need to realize is you're not always right. We're, we may not always be right. You know what I mean? And there has to be, there has to be a point where we can say, okay, I, I, you know, I'm not surrendering, but I stop because this is going to keep going on forever. And we've seen it happen. Um, and it goes to our accusers, okay? Ignore the accusers, like the title, okay? Sometimes it's just best to ignore the background noise. Silence can be defeating. And eventually, <laughs> they will run out of things to say. But what we need to do, because a lot of times when we're trying to teach the gospel, we're trying to help others, you know, defeat sin or get them to understand how Christ has saved us. What we need to realize is that they're broken just as much as we have been, just as much as we are, and we need to love them. Jesus taught us to avoid foolish and unlearned questions because they create strife. And that was one of the big things that when we started this church, Remnant, is we're going to, you know, change the culture. We're going to stop having strife within our ministries, within people, within our friends and our family. And in 2 Timothy 2, chapter 2, 2 Timothy 2, 23 to 24, it says, but refuse, shut your mind against, have nothing to do with it. Trifling, which is ill-informed, unedifying, or stupid controversies over ignorant questionings, for you know that they foster strife and breed quarrels. And the servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome, which is like fighting or contending, okay? Instead, he must be kindly to everyone and mild-tempered, which is preserving the bond of peace, okay? He must be a skilled and suitable teacher, patient and forbearing and willing to suffer wrong. And so if we can become that skilled person, if we can find that peace of God, that, that voice in our head that'll tell us when we're wrong, when we're right, or if you're saying something even about yourself, like we talked about earlier, checking yourself, asking yourselves these questions. And because sometimes we even say that we're ashamed of ourselves for, for being this way, for looking this way. You know, we may be ashamed of our body we may be ashamed of the way we look, the fact that maybe we have to wear glasses or our hair looks dumb, you know, or whatever it is. Or maybe, you, yeah, because maybe you can't afford nice clothes and things like that. And you have to stop doing that. In Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, ooh, it says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the firm foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Can you guys help me say cornerstone? Cornerstone. He is our cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple, the church of God, right? In the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. And so 
we, man, going into our one year of ministry here, that's the one thing we've been doing is building this church, building a family, building a community, right? Where we can look upon each other with, man, with grace, with acceptance. We give each other responsibilities, right? I have a responsibility here to help set things up, to be here early, to open the door, to make sure the audio is working, uh, different stuff. You know, my wife, she does, my wife, she does all of our media stuff. She creates a lot of our graphics and our notes and all that, you know, and we have a whole team that's, that we rely on, we give responsibility on. And without that, we're not going to be building God's church together. If we didn't give responsibilities to others, if we, man, if we said no, you know, Danielle, you're not worthy to help run the worship team, then who the heck am I? I'm not worthy either to be up here to help run the worship team. But you know what? God uses us even when we're at our worst. And it takes, man, it takes sacrifice. It takes broken heart to finally say, what a beautiful evening. There's no more shame. <laughs> it, it takes a lot to say, you know, I'm not ashamed of that no more, right? It takes a lot of forgiveness and it takes a lot of just getting on your knees and praying to God and asking him for peace, for love, for understanding, for forgiveness, right? And now there's people in this church, yeah, you may have served before, but there's people in this church that are serving for the first time that you may have never thought you would have served before because, yeah, maybe you were ashamed or maybe you have this sin or this past or maybe you have other talents and God's using you for a whole new thing. And it's awesome. And you may have been hurt or betrayed by someone that you love at some point in your life. And I know a lot of people have, a lot of us have. And maybe you've even experienced this more than once. Loving and trusting people is probably the most riskiest thing you can do as a human being, right? It's hard to trust somebody, especially when they hurt you so bad. It's hard to go back to them and trust them. And sometimes you don't. Sometimes you have to say, okay, you're out of my life, you know? And that only comes by praying to God and asking him for advice, asking him to lead you. Is this where you want me to go with? Do you want me to forget about this friendship? Do you want me to get about this relationship? Maybe it was a divorce or a horrible breakup. But once one person hurts you, it becomes harder to, to come up to others, right? But in contrast, one thing we need to remember, and everybody should know this, that God's love is truly unconditional, right? No matter what, no matter what you've been through, he's still going to love you. No matter what you did, what sin you may have had, as the worship team comes up, what we need to remember is that he never fails you and he'll never betray you. Do you agree with that? If you could say in the chat that you, you know for a fact that he's never failed you, that even through divorce, even through breakup, even through, man, even your own family may be hurting you or telling you that you're no good, telling that you should be shameful of this or you should be ashamed of that. His love is truly unconditional and it covers all that. And so 
you don't need to hold back in your relationship with God, okay? That's the last thing you need to do, even through that hardship, even through that breakup, whatever it is, do not hold back on your relationship with God. I think that's the best thing I could tell you tonight is that once you stop giving God your all, once you stop talking with him, he's, he'll wait, he'll be there when you, when you wanna come back. But during that time, we don't wanna see you struggle or, you know, God doesn't, God doesn't want you to go through that and you shouldn't, amen? And because God, you know what he is? He is totally, he's totally with everything that he has, everything that he's provided for us. He is the most trustworthy person on, in our universe say on the planet, but he is the God of all universe, right? So when you feel let down by people, right? When somebody's let you down, remember, though people may let you down, God will never. Say that with me. Where, wherever you're at at home, you can say it in the comment. If you're at work, say God will never. One, two, three. God will never. Never what? He will never fail you. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. He will never, man, let you go without a, a cent in your pocket. He'll always provide because he is so amazing. His love is so unconditional for us. He cares so much about you. If you're out there and you're struggling or you're sad or you're depressed, remember that God is there for you. You do not need to change or you don't have to change yourself or reach a better place or status in your life. I think of online shaming, right? There's a lot of online shaming going on and it's sad to see, you know, like somebody posted a, you know, a picture of their, of their child. I saw it the other day and their child was a little deformed coming out, had some issues, right? And this is a minor celebrity, celebrity. And what was sad is there's people saying, how ugly is your baby? Oh my God, you know what I mean? How can God do that to you and provide you with this, you know? And that's so bad. That's so horrible of somebody to say that, right? That's shaming them. That's telling them that their baby is ugly. But you know what? That is a child of God and you need to respect for what they are. They are a beautiful child, a human being of our Christ. Like I said, you don't need to change or reach a better place. But you know what God's gonna help you do? He's gonna help you change. He's, he's gonna help you get to a better place. All you need to do is accept his sacrifice and say yes to being in a relationship with God. And you know, when you put God first and you put him first in your relationship status, if you put him first, gonna take care of the rest that's what I did I said God I'm putting you first I don't want to be in this place at the time that I was I was depressed and I didn't want to be at the place I was at the point I didn't want to be at my job I didn't want to be at my church at the time and I said you know what God forget all that I'm gonna put you first because there was a time when I was gonna walk away from the things of God from serving him Okay, 
because I thought I was ashamed. I, I thought I was shaming myself for not thinking I was good enough. But I put my trust in God. I said, okay, God, I'm gonna put you first. I'm gonna continue to serve. And he's, man, he certainly took me to a better place. And he can do the same for you. And all you need to do is accept his sacrifice, accept his love in your life. And so today, as we bow our heads, we close our eyes. We start to pray, Christians start to pray. And if you're online today, we're so glad you joined us. If you're still on with us, don't leave. Pastor Danny's gonna come back up here and say a few things. So don't leave just yet. But if you're out there and maybe you wanna say yes to being in a relationship with God, to accepting Christ into your life, you don't have to look around. If you're with your family, if you're with friends, you don't have to say it out loud, but I want you to say this in your heart and you can repeat after me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and into my life. Say, Jesus, I'm ready. Say, I'm ready to start new, Jesus. And if you said that prayer real quick, just say, amen. Say the word, amen. You, you're gonna, that word, amen, is just sealing the deal with God, sealing the deal with him that you are now accepted into the kingdom. And if you accepted that, if you said that prayer with me tonight, man, the, the angels above in heaven are just rejoicing. They're celebrating, they're singing, and they're rejoicing you because you are now in the Lamb's book of life. You are now in that place of rest. Now, you can forget about that shame. You can forget about that sin. You can forget about that past, that history. If anyone's ever shamed you, man, it's gone. Don't worry about it. You are a new person in Christ. You can start to rejoice. You can start to say hallelujah and amen. If you feel comfortable, wherever you are, just lift up your hands. We're gonna worship in a second, but Christians, if you're hearing me today and you're still not sure about what God has for you, know that, man, his plan for you is has already been set in stone for you. Not the stones that we would have thrown at women back in the Old Testament days, but there's these new smooth stones laid out for you. This new beautiful walkway for you to walk on a straight, beautiful path to your future to seek him. So trusting God. And as you start to worship this song, I encourage you, wherever you are, start to lift up your hands, start to sing the words to this song today. Start to praise Jesus. Everybody in the church today, all of our volunteers, go ahead and stand. Let's lift up our hands and start to sing.